Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard, I'm Director of ECFR and I'm very happy to be joining you for a special bonus edition of our 1989 series. We realised that we have spoken to people all over the world about what 1989 meant to them, from China and Russia and America. We spoke to the first generation that benefited from 1989 in Eastern Europe. But the one group of people we didn't speak to were the children of 1989, the firstborn of this new age, about how 1989 shaped their lives. And we discovered that we have a remarkable group of people from right across Europe and beyond in ECFR who were born in or just before 1989. So for this special podcast, I'm joined from Germany by Marlene Riedel, who's also sitting next to Alba Gomez. Sancha Green, I think, is down the line from somewhere in the north of England. Denitza Yotova is in Sofia, in Bulgaria. And Edin Dedovic is, I think, also sitting in our Berlin office. So these five representatives of the 1989 generation will help us make sense of what the world means to them. But so maybe before we start, I can ask each of you just to give us a bit of background. Where were you born and when? Marlena, do you want to go first? Yeah, so I was born in 1988 in Leipzig, which is a city in East Germany, actually, one hour away from Berlin. Where the Monday protests and the peaceful revolution in the GDR first started. Right. So it's actually quite famous town to list in this list of cities where we're all born in. What about you, Alba? Well, I'm a bit further away uh, in the other side of the transatlantic. I was born in Caracas, Venezuela in September 1989. Sancho. I was born in Osnabrück, Germany, just a couple of weeks before the war came down in 1989. And Denise? I was born in the north of Bulgaria in uh, February 1990. Then my family moved to Sofia, where I grew up. And finally, Edin. I was born in Sarajevo, Bosnia and Herzegovina in uh, March 1990. So you all come from quite different places. I think it'd be maybe interesting just to, to start with a kind of very open question. How do you feel that 1989 has shaped your life? Obviously, none of you were very conscious of the Berlin Wall falling if you were even born on that day. But how do you each feel that 1989 shaped your life? Even though we were not born in 1989 and we have not witnessed necessarily the changes that happened then, the world in which we live in today is definitely shaped by those events. And I think uh, for our generation, it's quite difficult to imagine any other world since we have not lived a single day under a communist regime or during the Cold War period. So we tend to take the liberties that we enjoy today for granted as if they're irreversible. And I find this a little bit dangerous because we risk of repeating the mistakes that uh, were done before. This is Alba. It's quite interesting that you talk about taking those liberties as granted, because I think if, if the end of the Cold War and the fall of the Berlin Wall and the end of the Soviet Union had an impact on how I grew up, you have to link it quite closely to Cuba and the role that the end of the Soviet Union brings Cuba closer to Venezuela because they need a new country and new resources of funding. So I think the the government with which I basically grew up after 20 years of Chavismo 
is highly linked to Cuba and to all of their roles as mentor of Chavez and supporters of the socialism. And I think that's, that's very linked to, to the end of the Soviet Union. And I don't think Venezuelans nowadays will take those liberties for granted, as, as you think some of our generation would do. So paradoxically, 1989 created more communism uh, for you rather than less for the other people on the podcast. Exactly. I have to agree with Denitza, like growing up in East Germany, or like for me, just Germany. I took it for granted that Germany was one country and that I grew up in a city called Leipzig as well as people growing up in cities called Munich or Cologne. So I was actually not really aware of this whole historical dimension. It just came really to my mind when I moved to Berlin and to start to study and people kind of confronted me with like, oh, so you are from the East. And I was like, yeah, and you are from the South of Germany. So what's the big deal with that? So it was really more like an outside perspective, which made me realize that I am from a different kind of country or that I grew up in a different way than others might have done um, in uh, the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, and I kind of, uh, I mean, for me, 1989 was very, I can't really separate it from what happens in Yugoslavia in the early 90s, because to me growing up, 1989 seemed like the the kind of spark that set off a chain of events that would, I think, culminate in me and my parents traveling across Europe with a family who couldn't speak a word of English and uh, moving to London, which is where I ended up growing up. So to me, those, while across, I think, most of Europe, the fall of the wall and the fall of communism is seen as a kind of an opportunity for to reunite Europe. So I was three years old. So from what I remember in kind of at the time, it's not much, but there are these little snippets of a memory of kind of growing up in Sarajevo that I can recall. Me and my parents were lucky in that we were part of this humanitarian aid mission that the UK organized. So it was the Operation Irma, and it was after one of these kind of market bombings in Sarajevo where we had the opportunity to, we knew in advance that we were gonna get a chance to leave Sarajevo and uh, go to London for medical treatment. So it wasn't, there was time to say goodbye to uh, the family. And I think one of the things I do remember from the night we left is knowing that I was leaving because we left on August 13th. And I was very aware that my cousin's birthday was August 16th and I wasn't going to be there to celebrate it with him. It's so funny that you uh, mentioned that. I mean, for me, I it's Sancho here. I, I kind of consider myself a, a Cold War baby as well. My uh, father was in the British military and my parents only met because he was posted in West Germany. And so, you know, 1989 for me, I mean, my childhood was totally shaped by my father actually serving in Bosnia and then um, in Sarajevo as well as a part of the UN mission there. And so we're moving around from camp to camp across West Germany, what was then West Germany, often living among other NATO troops. And I think 1989 for me is totally shaped the first. 10 years of my life in that way. So you left Germany when you were 10? So yeah, so we left when I was 12. So sort of, I remember that year because I remember one of my teachers saying, you should try this thing out called Google. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, another thing that really marked my life was 9-11 uh, in a way. I remember being with American friends in J what was then joint headquarters in Rheindalen and just being seeing this you know, the Twin Towers falling and, and, you know, about six months after that, we moved back to the UK. How do you think that your generation is different from the sort of Generation Xers before you, my generation, who um, who will, who do remember the Cold War, who remember 
the war in Yugoslavia not as, as a sort of folk memory, but as something which was on the news every day and which was sort of consuming a lot of political attention in, in all sorts of different ways. What do you think the main differences are when you look at slightly older people and you think about how your generation sees things or how you yourself see things? Have you felt about these celebrations that we've had of, of 1989, which were much more done by older people, weren't they? I mean, the kind of centre of all these discussions that we've had over the last few weeks were often people who were demonstrating in 1989 or, or even my generation. We had this podcast with Piotr and Buras and Vesela Cheneva, who are exactly the same age as me, who were basically teenagers when the war came down and had a completely different life. But they did have one foot in both time periods in a way. We've kind of like most, We've benefited hugely from it, but at the same time, I do think that we've been the generation that has sort of been most let down by it. I mean, when we were 18, the financial crisis was happening. And so all the positiveness from 1989 and, you know, the benefits of liberal democracy and globalisation sort of all came crashing down from 2008. And that was when we were just 18 starting to think about our own future and so our whole prospect has been marked by I think decisions that have been made from people who have massively benefited from 1989 and we've not really been. That's fascinating that you say that there's this book which by an American professor of English at the University of Chicago called Cruel Optimism and she argues that in fact in many ways the the biggest problem for your generation is the fact that you were made a promise which other generations had about both the, the chance to get on with your life economically, to have a political say, to have a sort of degree of social mobility, and that what's happened since then is that upward mobility, job security, political and social economy, and durable intimacy, the kind of big promises of the post-war and post-Cold War era have kind of disappeared. And that leads to a sense of total betrayal and a lack of, of political certainty and a, a kind of precarity in terms of your identities do you think that's that's true or is it just Sancho who feels let down by um, by the older generations for me it actually depends because I mean I read um, about this image of our generation too and I never really saw myself in it because I think with my parents they never told me like you can do anything it was more like okay you have more possibilities and more opportunities so here's the chance that you can do more but you also have to grab them because I mean for my parents they were in their 30s when suddenly the state they used to know stopped existing with two little children and so they were always kind of cautious in what decisions they wanted to take and what path they wanted to go down so for my parents it was always like you have to be happy with your decisions so think about them quite thoroughly instead of just oh the world is my oyster and I can discover everything it's more like yes there is this opportunity but you have to carefully think about what you want to do and how do you also secure your money for example and be sure to get like insurance and everything because they experience that everything can just fall apart in a second so for me it's not really this disappointment it's more like i've been really cautious with my life decisions because of my parents um, experience well, i didn't hear uh, i agree with mylene i feel like i have a very similar kind of background experience here in that my parents you know coming from sarajevo moving to london you're afforded a lot more opportunities in terms of growth and education than i would have got otherwise and while 2008 and the financial market crash wasn't ideal, I always got the sense from my parents growing up, things could be so much worse and just ride this out. 
Yes. And there will be something at the end of it. And you will get a job eventually because everyone gets a job. That was the Yugoslav mentality <laughs> of you will find something. You might not entirely be happy with it, but yeah. it will pay your salary. It'll pay kind of your rent. And exactly. And you'll be fine. It was always like, okay, you take this job first. It might not be your dream job, but you know, it's a start and then you can go from there. Right. I can agree with Marlene and uh, Edin on that because when it's funny how Asante mentioned the financial crisis because when that was happening, people in Bulgaria were actually uh, joking that we are best prepared to handle it because we are used to living in crisis anyway. He was really surprised or kind of thinking about it too much. And it's true that it was the moment in which we, our generation was supposed to enter the job market. And there were huge unemployment rates, especially for young people. So we had a pretty tough start, I would say. And it's also clear to see how the division East-West lived even after 1989 by the difference in our experiences. The way young people in the West were seeing the events that followed and the way we experienced them, it's quite different, I would say. What about you, Alba? I'm going to have to agree with the latter, but for very different contexts. My parents grew up under, well, my parents and grandparents grew up with Franco in Spain, and my parents emigrated to Venezuela in 1980, which at the time was not what Danny was going to become when me and my brothers grew up in the country. So I think that being careful and being taking the opportunities, definitely, but being aware that things can very quickly change was, was the way that we were raised as well. So if you um, think about the sort of most important things which shaped your life, so we've said we've agreed that 1989 was quite an important context for how your lives were. But what do you think the, the most important things were in terms of your coming of age politically? Was it the financial crisis? Was it the Iraq war? Was it, were there other things? It'd be very interesting to know. In my case, I think 9-11 was quite key, but even more so in 2002, so only a few months later, in April 2002, there was a coup d'etat in Venezuela, which I was young, but for example, my little brother was only three years old. So I remember this very vividly, while my dad and brothers are sort of like protecting the building, and then me and my mom are in between two walls because that's the safest place to sleep. Uh, and um, so I think my, my interest in, in politics and international relations and how this develops started there and also probably even more in human rights and freedom of expression as the next between 2002 and 2007 the country where I grew up introduced into a lot of closing radio stations tv channels everything that opposed the regime was basically closing down in those in those years so those are the events that shaped my interest in the topic. My interest in international affairs I felt more coming from Parents who, you know, grown up in Bosnia, Yugoslavia, kind of people told war stories, kind of because we, in London, we tended to be a lot of people who came during the same moment in time. So everyone would share these stories. And I grew up around these. So I felt there was always kind of an interest there in what happened. But I felt the thing that peaked or that kind of got me really to pay attention was 9 11, because it was one of the first things happening in the international stage that I can vividly remember. And you can kind of, recollect how you would feel when you know, we were all what, 10, 11, 12 at the time. And then seeing the reaction of people who are older than you. Because as a child, I feel when you're three or four, you might not realize that your parents or your teachers are really stressed out. It was quite a scary when right. you saw the reaction in your parents, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I think once you see the screens and then you see, you might not understand what is happening as a 10 or 11 year old, but when you see, when you can comprehend amongst 
the older generation how serious this is mm. and then when this sinks in then you kind of uh, it hits harder I think for me it sounds a little bit cheesy I guess um, for me it was actually none of all these historical events it was more a personal one when I went to Sweden for my Erasmus semester actually because I was not studying politics or international relations. I was a theater major, so I was living in another kind of world anyway. So experiencing this Erasmus program and be like, oh my God, I can meet people from all over the world. And actually the European Union is paying for that and I can learn so much and study at another university. I thought that was for me such a great experience. And I think that's actually what the Erasmus program wants to achieve. So they succeeded quite well with me, at least that I realized, oh, there's a world out there and I want to discover it more also politically and um, within the field of international relations. For me, it was also the European Union, but from a different angle, because um, my childhood uh, was marked by this dream of Bulgaria to become part of the West, to join the European Union and NATO. And when that finally happened, all the celebrations and this sense of fulfillment and success that was experienced by people was uh, quite a remarkable thing. And I remember how we were studying at school about all the different countries and that we are now part of the same family. And I was quite impressed by that. But actually, there was also another event, which is kind of, or another fact that is a bit more, how do I say that, unserious, that shaped uh, my life back then. And I think that was Cartoon Network and the fact that Cartoon Network was not uh, translated uh, in Bulgarian, but it was uh, broadcasted in English. And I, all the people from my generation managed to learn English through Cartoon Network back then. <laughs> so that really provided us with the chance to travel and kind become part of this open uh, world afterwards. And what about you, Slantra? Completely 9-11 as well in terms of international affairs. And I would actually say that uh, picking on the theme of taking things for granted and being complacent, I would actually say that I kind of had my political awakening in 2016 when the Brexit referendum happened because, you know, inevitably the UK is a foreign policy actor. Its role is changing now and seeing that unfold and seeing a country that has taken a traditionally quite a proactive leading role in terms of international relations and especially within the EU sort of take a step back from that role it, it's from my personal perspective been very disheartening and I took it all for granted and I was pretty complacent about it so that's I think what's really going to shape my life. So if we try and look forwards from where we are now I mean how do you think that the next big challenges facing Europe and the world are going to be shaped in a different way because of things that your generation kind of brings in. I mean, there's lots of abuse about snowflakes and about your generation's short attention spans and your thin skins and the sense that you take all these things for granted and the importance of the internet in your lives, etc. Now that we've been through these kind of big historical events, what do you think is a fair way of characterizing your generation? Do you think there are things which are going to be done in quite a different way as people who are born in 1989 and afterwards start to take on positions of power in, in different countries because we now have you know a number of prime ministers who are still in their 30s the new Finnish prime minister is barely older than than any of you she's more part of your generation than part of my generation and we're going to see more and more people 
who've had your sort of backgrounds come in, take over the levers of power in different European places. What do you think that that means for um, for the world and the legacy of 1989? I think, or at least I hope, that our generation has a more global perspective on things and would do everything with a more holistic approach because we are used to live like within the European Union, for example. We are not just living in Germany. We always had this broader perspective and I think that our generation will take that more into consideration when they do foreign policy or any kind of policy and that climate change of course is a very pressing and big topic within our generation because we already experienced some of these impacts climate change had and we know that there are more to come and we will experience them and if we have children then our children will definitely experience these implications. Yeah, in addition to the climate change that you mentioned, I would add, I think, more awareness on interference from external actors and probably Russia and China are the main ones that come to my mind. But what I feel when I talk about politics and international relations with people my age is that we're being aware about the threats uh, to our democracies and our systems. So so I think those two things and climate change would, would be quite key for us to tackle. Yeah, I think so. And I think for me, it's because uh, I feel we're the first generation that's been very kind of global and interconnected. And we grew up with the internet. In the beginning, it was pretty poor uh, <laughs> to pile up. But uh, I think we've gotten used to a very specific lifestyle yeah. where everything was open to us and we had the EU and traveling across borders wasn't really an issue. So I feel we have this standard that we want to maintain. Protect it. And protect yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping that that is the way that we'll, our generation will move things forward, to maintain how it has been, I think, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And to also make it available to others. Yes. I don't want to go one step further. I think we're going to fight for it. I think people are actively going to, rather than try and maintain it, fight for it and enhance it. Sort of what Marlena was saying about making it more holistic and being aware of the global impact that we as individuals and citizens of the European Union have. For me, the biggest difference is in terms of identity, because we are probably the first generation that has really fluid identity and multiple identities merging into each other, which will really help us to overcome divisions from the past. And I think this is our main mission in a way. When you say identity, do you mean um, your identity as a woman, your identity, uh, I mean, what kind of identities? Would you just mean the kind of multiple, the fact that this is a generation that's much more conscious of race, of gender, of, and that identity is much more fluid as well? Yes, I mean, all those things. Uh, as Marlene said, we don't belong just to a single country. We belong to Europe, we belong to the world. We represent various groups in the same time. And no single person has just one identity that is coherent and that they can fully identify with. Exactly because we are with those fluid identities living in one single individual, we become much more tolerant and aware of other people. And that's what makes me hopeful that things that happened in the past will not repeat uh, themselves. So maybe I can ask you a last question as we come to the end of this. In one of the earlier podcasts, I spoke to Timothy Garton-Ash, who said that 1989 was the greatest year in, in European history, and he couldn't think of a better one. Do you agree with him? Or if not, what do you think? If you could have chosen any year in uh, European history to be born in, what year would you have chosen? I'm actually quite happy to be born in 1988 for all the reasons we just mentioned, because we could experience all these transitions and changes which led up to, at least for East Germany, a better world, so to say. And I don't want to be born in 2000, 
It seems scary. And I definitely don't want to be born in 2019, for example, because I think that year was actually rated the worst year by some magazine recently. So I will once again agree with Malika. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for agreeing think, uh, with me so much. In a, yeah, I'm very happy to stick to 1990. I think any point before... Yeah, kind of knowing what happens after 90 in Yugoslavia. I feel like I got off lucky not remembering as much as uh, other people did. Uh, so I'll kind of give it memorizing then what happened in 1989, kind of give that a nice pass. And I feel like at any point afterwards, I mean, looking at a younger generation, I feel like it gets very difficult for them. At least we have this benefit of seeing kind of this growth and this integration and this optimism that we like to get used to. I mean, even if the, the crash happens in 2008, we had... 18, I feel, pretty good years uh, that we can draw on and hope at least build on. We're lucky to be the children of the transition in a way, and we sort of knew what life was like before mobile phones, because I think they're just <laughs> dominate. Well, yeah, I mean, like, they're going to dominate our lives and dominate politics and international relations in a way that we probably we don't fully understand yet. So we're lucky to know what that still feels like. Yeah, that's true. We kind of have our feet in both worlds, like the analog and the digital world. We like we grew up with reading books and not like reading things on tablets. And we may appreciate this still today, but we also know all the perks of having a smartphone and Google. And um... we can simultaneously judge the older generation and the kids nowadays. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Albert, did you say whether you'd rather have been born in another year? That's a very tough one in my case, because um, I feel maybe yeah a decade later in Venezuela would have played out very differently a decade later would have been very complicated earlier would have been a bit of a dream in comparison to what we knew was coming after so so I think I would have still stay with 1989 if I could yeah yes I wasn't trade of 1990 for any other year as well so we can all agree with Timothy yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a great year. So, uh, well, that's pretty good. So um, we've ending, I think, with a note of universal acclamation for 1989. Um, it's been really interesting talking to to you. And I think it's a, it's a great honor for me to, to host your ECFR podcast debut. I'm sure you'll all come back frequently to talk about other things. So there's one thing left to do on this podcast, which is our bookshelf segment. Malena, do you want to go first? What's on your bookshelf at the moment? When I should recommend something 1989 related, I would actually recommend two German movies. One is called Sonnenallee, which is a street here in Berlin, which was divided back then. And it's, I mean, it's a fun and light comedy about the fall of the Berlin Wall. And a more tragic movie, which came out, I think, just some years later, is called Goodbye Lenin, which I would recommend. And it's about a son and a mom, and the mom falls into a coma during the fall of the Berlin Wall, and the son tries to maintain the GDR for her. It's also a comedy, but it's also more a sad side to the whole story. It's one of my favorite films ever. So do you share the the kind of nostalgia which is that movie about? No, not at all. But I think because they came out when I think I was around 14, 15, and these comedies made it more easy to talk about. 
So I would like to recommend The Wall from John Lanchester. What I think is great is, well, after the elections and with everything that's happening in the UK, in this book the author imagines a fortress UK wall in concrete and is sort of patrolled by young men. And why I think it's, it's so good is because the author is really good at describing all the details of how these men patrol in 12-hour shifts a wall. So yeah, between the fall of the Berlin Wall anniversary and then everything that's happening in Europe at the moment, I, I definitely recommend this one. Fantastic. What about you, Sancho? I don't have a 1989 one. It's Homo Deus, The Brief History of Tomorrow, but everyone has heard of, but I'm just starting to dig into that so I can report back on that in a few months, I guess. Great. It's a wonderful book. I think I've recommended it on the podcast before. Uh, Denisa, what's on your bookshelf? Uh, so if it comes to 1989, I would like to recommend a movie which is called The Lives of Others. It's a German drama and uh, it's about uh, monitoring the life of um, people living in East Berlin. It's quite uh, interesting to see. Made by one of my former schoolmates in the European school in Brussels. Oh, really? Yeah. Great. What about you, Edin? Uh, the book I would like to recommend is by Bosnian author Alexander Hemon, uh, which is written in English. It's called uh, An Introduction, My Parents. And it's Alexander moved to Chicago in 1993 or 1992, right before the war. And the story is about the journey that his parents made on the trip from Bosnia to Chicago. And uh, these intricate stories or these touching stories about what it, how they felt growing up or living in Chicago, having spent their whole lives in, uh, in Yugoslavia. And I think uh, a lot of the members of the Yugoslav diaspora kind of see kind of a nice contrast between how their parents or how our parents kind of grew up in a Western society in comparison to yeah, Yugoslavia. Great. What a fantastic selection of books. It's been a huge pleasure speaking to all of you on this podcast from Marlena Riedl, Alba Gomez, Sancha Green, Denitza Yotova, Edin Dedovic, and myself, Mark Lennon. It's goodbye for now. The research of our podcast is Hannah Zofie Bowman, and our editor is Marlene Riedel, who will have to edit her own words after she finishes um, broadcasting today. There will be links to all the publications that we mentioned on our website, which is www.ecfr.eu slash podcast.